I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I'm back with both my co-hosts. Oh, I'm my gosh, Greg. we're here. Air You're hugs. Both here. Air hugs. We're all back together. <laughs> hugs. Air hugs. I should say that uh, I think Brett beat Vanessa to the punch, so Mr. Brett Rutherford. Uh, hi. I'm so happy that I'm here and that we're all here. <laughs> and then Ms. Vanessa Ferguson. Good to see both of you. I've seen you both separately, but now we're all together and I don't have to worry where my boys are. Where are my boys? Oh, it's like we're a little family. <laughs> and we are a little family. You know, it's incredible that we get this opportunity today. And we're so grateful to Walt Disney Imagineering for allowing us not only to talk to Robert Coltrane, who was conferred the Disney Legends Award at the D23 Expo in 2022, but also the other Imagineer who was recognized as a Disney legend, Doris Hardoon. We get to speak to her today. So I'm so excited to get to talk to Doris. Vanessa, I see you nodding your head over there. So talk to me about this upcoming conversation. Okay, unless I am incorrect, I believe this is our first woman Imagineer that we've spoken to. Is that correct, mm -hmm. Greg? It yes? is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I, of course, then, as the woman on the podcast, I am so excited. And I'm so excited to hear about her career. I know she's a designer, so I, I, I'm hoping to maybe take a look through her eyes at the parks and how she works on projects. And I, I just can't wait to ask her about some, you know, behind the scenes stories with some of the other legendary people from Disney that we know about. And this is just, I'm just so excited. This is going to be a great interview. I'm really excited to talk to her about all of those things too. And just the idea, like you mentioned, we we hear often about the men that helped build the, the company, the nine old men and everything else. But it's really like we have some legendary women as well that were involved in shaping this company and continue to shape it to this day in all aspects of the company. And so it's going to be great to get a chance to talk to her and to hear some of those stories and experiences that she's had as well. She actually got hired under WED under Walter Elias Disney. And then now, of course, that's been renamed to WDI Walt Disney Imagineering. So Brett, what about your thoughts about the upcoming interview? Well, I, I, it's time to clink those you know glasses again because I'm talking about D23 Expo, clink. So D23 Expo, she, I went to the Legends panel and and she charmed the audience like you wouldn't believe and she was just amazing so i can't wait to hear well number one i am well i'm honored we are honored i am honored to to speak with her because i think we're just going to be privy to all sorts of i don't know i mean design philosophies life philosophies it's just amazing and her her time on the the imaginary story it, she's in the last episode and she's talking all about Walt and about the park and about everything. So we'll get a little bit of a, hopefully we'll get a little bit of a glimpse as to, you know, her career as an Imagineer and, uh, and her life stories. It's good. I can't wait to talk. I'm going to shut up now so we can talk to her. All right, let's actually, let's just go right to it. Let's just talk to her. So here is Doris, the one of the newest Disney legends. So take it away, Craig, with the interview. It is such a thrill to welcome to our show Doris Hardoon, who is the newest of the Disney legends uh, in, in this class that was just brought into their Disney legend status here at D23 Expo in 2022, where Brett was, by the way, but we'll get to that later. But Doris, it's so nice to have you here with us today. 
Wow, this is an amazing thing. Thank you so much for including me. I'm very, very honored. We're certainly so honored to have you here. So we're going to dive right into our questions. And it was great to read about your backstory because you were such an artistic kid, it seemed. You were a singer, a dancer, a model. But I'm wondering what sort of inspired you to pursue a career in the arts? (laughs) <laughs> it's so funny that you brought it that way because I, I don't really think of it that way. You know, when you're growing up, you don't think about stuff, right? But totally not planned. It was never really like one of my dreams to get involved in the creative side of design. But but you have to know, knowing what I don't want to do when I grow up was what basically drove me to to do and to end up being in the creative side. For instance, I, I really didn't want to go to what I call a regular school, which means like, you know, Chinese family. It's my mom really wasn't considered like a tiger mom, but Chinese family, there's an assumption. You know, you go to business or you become a scientist or you be a lawyer, a doctor. I mean, these are all things that to me you have to have sort of a an interest in that, but I, I really didn't. And Frankly, I don't like to study. So I thought, okay, I don't like tests. I don't like exams. So I figure by default, I thought, well, maybe I could get into like, and I love dance. I love dancing. So I thought, okay, how about dance or something, you know, artistic in that side of it. And so that's exactly what I did. It's either that, or my dad said, get into a school or you're coming home. And this was me leaving Hong Kong to come to America. And I ended up in San Francisco. And that's exactly what I did. I I actually got into a dance school, which mm, didn't quite work out too well. At 18, going into ballet is probably not a good thing. But I did try it. And uh, I actually did pretty good in jazz dancing. But can't do it too well because I figured very clearly, quickly, that I cannot do pirouettes and, and just spins because I'm highly, highly motion sickness challenged. Oh, so that was that was like an aha. And so I thought, okay, what's another thing I could do? I thought, well, maybe I could get into art. So that's exactly what I did. I ended up going to an art school, and back in those days, so easy to get in. And being a foreign student, totally cool. Walked in, didn't show a portfolio. They said, sure, come on in. Four years later, I got my graphics degree and I didn't realize I was kind of good at it. (laughs) So that's how it happened. That's so wonderful. And you know, in my full-time career, I'm an academic advisor. And so I'm having all these conversations with students. And it's interesting that you take the mindset of like, what was it that I didn't want to do? Because we so often ask kids, what do they want to be when they grow up? Which is a misnomer, because I don't know that any of us know what we want to be when we grow up. So I love that mindset that you that you came at that with. But Vanessa, I think you had our next question. Yeah, so after you graduated college, you worked at a family theme park called Marine World Africa USA. That sounds like a great place to to work after college. But how did you know then that you wanted to have a career in Disney? Was that experience inspiring you to go work for the Disney company as maybe an Imagineer? Or was it more something that you just kind of fell into? Good question. Um, My answer, no. I really didn't know about Disney, you know, growing up in Hong Kong, you know, wasn't really like part of our, our daily. uh, And also my family wasn't really into that side. So I I really didn't know about it or even in art school, 
because back in those days, you know, we didn't have those kinds of internship programs that's quite prevalent today, and it's a great thing. So I wasn't even aware of that. It was really more about, um, I, I guess it was a friend. At the end of the day, when I was at Marine World Aft USA, and I loved it because it was all animals, I love animals. It sort of became a, a time where I was about four years there and you know, kind of like, okay, I think I could do other stuff. And then, so it was more of a friend who actually was involved with Disney before. And then he was the one that said, well, you know, maybe let's go check them out. And at the time, I didn't even know what Epcot really was, but he did. And he went, well, maybe they need help, you know, who knows? So that was really how I got more involved into the Disney was, that's how I sort of ventured over and went and interviewed and did all of that. And that's how I really knew more about the Imagineering really at the time, which was WED, W-E-D. Walter Lies Disney at the time. That's so great. Brett, I think you had our next. Well, we had the honor and pleasure to speak with Leslie Iwerks about her Disney Plus series, The Imagineering Story. And you were prominently featured in the last episode to Infinity and Beyond. So it was so wonderful to hear you speak about what inspired Walt Disney to create Disneyland. It was so heartfelt and I love that. So how do you believe Walt's legacy continues to thrive through everything that Disney Imagineering creates? Um, I do believe Walt's legacy is continuing, even as far as reaching as into the Shanghai Disney Resort. It, it really was very integrated into that. But it's not as simple as being touched by like a magic wand. And you have to, in order to like continue Walt's legacy of, of his knowledge, you have to hear it, you have to understand it, practice it, believe in it, and inspire others to do the same. I would say I had the great fortune of becoming an Imagineer at a time, at an era that was led by Walt's, not only the original nine old men back in those days, but also the second group of men and women that were the best of the best creative artists, designers, conceptualists, and storytellers. And I was mentored by all of them. I mean, how cool was that, right? And Very they, cool. <laughs> I know, and I, I wasn't even that knowledgeable because I had just come out of sort of college, even though I had practice, you know, working at Marine World after USA, it wasn't really registering for me. So when I ended up meeting with all these amazing people, they each taught and mentored me in their own unique way, what uh, Walt actually taught and mentored them with, mm -hmm. which is really like a one degree separation oh thing. Yeah. I know, which was really, really like amazing. It's more than being the best designer, conceptualist and storytellers in my mind. It's a way to behave, how to think, you know, to believe and to deliver on a task as an individual and also equally important as a team member. And that's something that, you know, when you're in school, you don't think about that that much. Now I'm sort of at the same time and at the end of what I call an era of my predecessors. And now it's my turn to pay forward to the next generation of Imagineers. So that's the continuum that I believe in. And that's, you know, I feel fortunate that I could actually speak and think about what was taught to me and I can convey it. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's, I, I'm sure it's an honor to be uh, mentored by you as well so yeah. Aww. <laughs> thank yes. you 
<laughs> That's what's so great. And, you know, we also had the just honor to be able to talk to Robert as well, who was able to be conferred as a Disney legend the same time you were. And he mentioned that collaboration and teamwork and how important that is to Imagineering and those ideas of mentorship and bringing on the next generation. And so that's just wonderful. And I, I, I do hear that there's a funny story that you have or a fun story about your job interview with Disney Imagineering. So I'm wondering about your interview and then those first couple of meetings with the people that we really revere as these uh, people that helped develop the theme parks the way that we know them today. And that's people like Marty Sklar and Rolly Crump and John Hench. Can you talk about some of those experiences in the interview? Well, like I, I mentioned earlier, a friend of mine that that hooked us up with an interview and I was just kind of going along for the ride. And before you know it, there I was standing at 1401 Flower Street and walking through the front doors and you know, they just said, okay, we're going to a conference room and we're going to meet some folks and show your portfolio. And, you know, back then it was the carousel, you know, so slides that you go oh, and sure. click, yeah. click, click, click. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very, very satisfying, right? As you're clicking through it, you know, because all the images <laughs> are coming up. And so I did, we went into this conference room and it was really like the lights were kind of low because they were getting ready and the screen was up and they wanted me to get going. And there were these these guys in there. So again, I had no clue who they were and um, sat down and did my little spiel and began showing click, click, click. And by the time we finished, the lights went up and then I finally could see who they were. And it was Marty Sklar, John Hench and Rolly Crump. And to me, it was like, okay, who are these guys, right? <laughs> That's okay though. It worked for you. I know. And they were really cool about it. They weren't like, oh, hey, you know, you should know who we are, right? And they were like already the, the main leaders of that entire company, which is like, wow. So I, I showed my stuff and I'm like, okay, so all I'm doing is I'm just hoping for some freelance work because I hear Epcot and I was trying to be really cool about it. Like I know what I was talking about, that yes, Epcot was going and uh, if there's anything I could do to help. They kind of talked amongst themselves and John Hench, sort of jumped in and went, okay, you know, your stuff is really great. And uh, graphics, all right, uh, you've got that background. So I think, you know, it would be fabulous. We'll get you involved with the graphics department and get you going. And before you could even finish the sentence, Rolly jumped in, Rolly Crump, and he said, no, I don't think she belongs in, in graphics. She, she belongs in show. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, show was today's creative studio. And that involved everything that, you know, we do today. It's conceptual, it's design, it's all of that stuff. But back then it was called show because there was a little bit of combination that actually moved into show work, you know, show production. So he said, no, no, she belongs in show because I could see how she's, she's very sort of, um, she has a variety of skills that I think we can harness and grow and I'm standing like as if I wasn't in the room right and they were like going back and forth talking about this and finally they just looked at me and went yeah you got the job and I went oh, <laughs> oh wow what, what job oh you know it's like I was thinking to myself uh okay do they mean freelance you know like what and they went yeah no we're, you're ready to go come on uh we'll get you wow. started so I did say at the Legends Award, which was really cool because I, I wasn't sort of registering until on the day when we were there, September 9th, I thought, wait a minute, 
that was the same week, September 9th, 43 years ago. And I'm saying 43, it's like, oh my gosh, that was a long time. That that was the meeting I had with Marty, John and Rolly. I couldn't remember the exact date because I was hired actually into WDI or WED back then officially was September 20th, I believe was my start date. And then off I went. And so that was when my whole, I became the Imagineer and wow. off I went with, with Rolly and, and worked on, on that project. And at the time, I believe they wanted me to jump on Life Health Pavilion. But um, shortly after that with Frank Armitage, which is like another legend. But shortly after that, that project didn't go through. And so they then shifted me over to the Land Pavilion. And that's when I became Rolly's one of the um, team members for that, mm -hmm. along with, you know, Walt Paragoy, we had Jeff Burke, we had Steve uh, Kirk, you know, and that was, that was really great. That was fun. Wow. Well, I think yeah. we have some more questions coming up about Rolly soon, but I'll go ahead and ask you about Marty uh, because we've been so touched by the wonderful stories about him and the notes he would give out to his employees. So we have to ask you, did you ever get a special note from Marty or, or maybe just have a special memory of him that you could share? Oh yeah. I should <laughs> have a special memory from Marty. So I, I was, I was about three, four months into my job as an Imagineer and still trying to find my way. And because I was on the land pavilion and the area I was involved with was the farmer's market and uh, the Harvest Theater, which mm -hmm. we can talk about later. And it was sponsored by Kraft Foods at the time. And they, the whole board, the, the chairman of the board and the whole board of directors were flying into Glendale to do a a huge meeting, a presentation meeting of that, you know, all uh, the pavilion. And so Roly got us all organized. We had already put, you know, models together, et cetera. And we were each having to do our presentation for the area that we're involved in. So I'm standing there. It was all like in this part of the um, WDI and, you know, all dark and everybody was doing their thing. And I was waiting for my turn. And I'm standing there and now you have to envision this room. It's all organized where our model was there. We're supposed to stand there. I remember this so clearly and lights were right onto the model. So you had to get up and I'm talking about, you know, probably about 20 individuals, including the chairman standing right there in front. You, you know, you're about maybe three feet, four feet away from each other. And Marty was there, of course, Roly, John Hench, you know, all the guys were there. And Marty came up to me when others were still doing the presentation before the group came into my section and he came up to me and he said i want you to do it all in chinese and i went uh what i i kind of like turned my head and he went chinese just do the whole presentation in chinese mm -hmm. and i i looked at him and i was about to say something and i thought okay, I'm not going to say anything because Marty knows what he's saying <laughs> and he's the boss. So I, I'm not going to question him. I will go ahead and do what he says. So then it was my turn. Everybody came into my section. You know, I'm already like so nervous about everything. I mean, it's the first time I'm presented. And again, I just have been there for only a few months. So I went right into my Shahanese and I just said, land pavilion. 
Never take on a booty cheese with craft foods. And never take on a booty cheese with craft foods. And never take on a booty cheese with craft foods. So I kept throwing in these English little, you know, words or names of things so that they think, you know, they're following. And it was so funny because I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and they have that sort of inquisitive look on their face when they're listening to me. And this must have gone on for, I felt like a hundred minutes, but it was probably, probably, I don't know, maybe only six, seven, eight, nine minutes. Mm -hmm. But I could see John Hench way in the back. And, you know, John is very into the Asian world and he's nodding his head. He's looking very pensive about it he's it's like he's listening and i thought oh dear he's hearing what i'm saying <laughs> and i hope he doesn't understand because i was talking about the weather my feet hurt <laughs> i don't know what to do you know all in shanghainese and i threw in these english words and finally marty came up to me and, and he said okay doris you, you you could stop and everybody sort of looked at him and he went uh, all right uh and he spoke to the the board and the chairman and says or and ask Doris to do this in in Chinese because I really wanted to kind of break the ice and have her have her just kind of present it and just everybody chill out and have you know because I know this is an important session and oh my gosh everybody relaxed they were laughing you know ties started getting undone you know everybody was like totally cool and they said oh my gosh you know that's so okay I we get it we thought we couldn't understand her accent in English oh, no. so <laughs> After that, of course, I gave the whole presentation in English, oh, sure. and they went, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> well, that was pretty funny, and that was a moment that I I just cannot really forget. And Marty would write about it a lot and talk about it. And then he was so sweet because afterwards, the note was he came up to me and he said he credited me for the craft food signing the deal with oh, wow. this presentation because yeah. it helped. And he was so brilliant because he he knew how tense it was, and having me do that, it just sort of broke the ice, and everybody you know relaxed, and then we did our thing, and then they went on and did, of course, their meetings and everything else. But that was very sweet of him. So that was one of my top top notes. Oh wow! For Marty, that's amazing. That's amazing. Oh. Well, there are wonderful things you can. This is a little bit of a segue. There are wonderful things you can learn. On the internet, so Doris, the question is: Has there ever been a Disney legend other than you who has been a pop star in Hong Kong? Is that really、oh, true?、No. And can you share a little bit of a fun fact if that is true? Oh my gosh, you found that! Oh、dear. yes, <laughs> oh yes. Okay, well,、um, you're right.、Uh, oh wow. <laughs> okay, you have to, and and you have that in America too. You know, this was high school, right? And it was a very British system that I was in. But、um, we did a lot of sort of a interschool sport contests and or singing talent shows and etc.、Mm -hmm. And I was fourteen, I believe. And my good friend at the time, Debbie Hafner, she and I, she's really into folk singing, and you know the whole. It was that era, and、mm -hmm. she and、awesome. I got together. We ended up. Started singing in folk songs in the school, and then we went over to other schools, and then we did talent and that kind of thing. Well, at some point when we got to be oh about a year or so into it, she she actually got very ill, so she wasn't able to at the time continue. And at that point, I I hate I I hate saying it like this, but I mean I like folk singing, but not that much folk singing.、Uh, right. <laughs> I like pop pop much、yeah. better at the time. 
And it was all that era where it's teeny bopper stuff, you know, and, and you, you listen to music back then, it all had that sort of feel to it. But I went quite quickly right into On My Own and continued singing and ended up in as a pop star. And I was on concerts and, oh, you know, Hong Kong, it, there's a Hong Kong TV sort of entertainment tonight kind of equivalent oh, over there. Wow. So I was on that. I did record again back in those days, 45, you know, mm -hmm. a vinyl. That was 45. Mm -hmm. I have four songs. And then I recorded one cut on a LP with all my other singing friends. So I did that. And yeah, it was pretty cool. It went on for about three years on off and became quite popular <laughs> back, yes. back in the days. And um then that sort of morphed me into modeling, which was pretty much all at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. to have someone Eurasian like myself, which is not that common in Hong Kong at the, uh, at, in the uh, 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. and 80s. And also I'm tall, I'm like 5'9", so that, you know, like stuck out like a sore thumb. So all of those things combination, it just worked. And I went into fashion modeling quite a bit I didn't sing very much after that, but more into the fashion side, and it was fantastic. I, I even got offered to go to Milan to to do a fashion thing, which I didn't go. Oh wow! <laughs> well, but still, all of that, all of that probably, all of that probably informed your creative self too. All of that time around those other artists and such. So, I guess so. You know, I'm, <laughs> it's always been in my blood and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it all mm -hmm. worked out. <laughs> yes, it did work out. <laughs> well, I'm wondering because you did grow up in Hong Kong, uh, did the um, other Imagineers look to you for guidance as you all were designing the Shanghai Resort? And and if so, can you can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where you take for granted what we do and how we design, and and when you do end up being asked to work on projects outside of your norm, it does make you think a bit. And China is, is a whole different culture that was not that familiar, uh, even though we did Paris. And you know, there's some similarities on the Western world kind of culture. But Eastern culture, um, you're right, it, it, it was quite different. And I am grateful because of my Chinese background and understanding you know, the subtlety of cultural nuances of what's important, what not to do, what is respectful, what is relatable to the Chinese people and to that culture. So I could give you an example on the Shanghai project was a really good, good option to show some of these, these understandings and guidances. And I did work with my team. I think many of our other leaders, you know, they went through the cultural learnings and messaging. And of course they, they understood and but, but there are nuances that it's difficult to know. And, and I wanted to share some of these that kind of went across the park, which I was so grateful for how everyone paid attention to the differences. We went through a little bit of challenges in the beginning because assumptions were, you know, we want lots of dragons all over the place. You know, we want, you know, red everywhere and, you know, that kind of thing, which are kind of, yes, but it didn't have to be that over, you know, over the top. So, you know, you heard about Bob Iger, who was CEO at the time. He, he came up with a brilliant mantra, which was ADDC, 
you know, the acronym, which is for authentically Disney, distinctly Chinese. And in the beginning, a lot of us were like wondering, well, what did he mean by that? You know, but I think it was just so perfect that if you really dove deep into what that meant, it was about the nuances, the subtleties of what it meant. And how is it that we are to maintain the Disney culture to an audience that is not familiar. So how do we express that culture in a way that they would understand? And then how do we accept their culture so with respect that we tip the hat and so that there becomes a harmony, right? In the way that we present information and how the guests enjoy it so that we want them to come back, you know, so repeat. So example, Mickey Avenue was decided and not the traditional Main Street Marceline America, USA, you know, Walt's home. There's no affinity, there's no connection for the Chinese culture to know about Walt's heritage. So, but they love Mickey, Minnie, the Fab Fives. And so that became the logical thing to welcome all the guests, right? Get-go. So they come in, they're happy, they see the Fab Fives, and then it just became, it just made sense to welcome them. Then if you go into the hub area, you know, Shanghai has the largest hub. We intentionally made it into a land, which I was very honored to be leading that, Gardens of Imagination. And within it, there were various elements. Now, you may have heard me talk about four, two, one. Four grandparents, two parents, and a child. That was the policy at the time. But a lot of the grandparents are young. They're in their 50s, they're in their 60s, but they take the responsibility to watch over the babies while the parents go off and have great time, you know, go ride the pond, <laughs> go ride the pirates, you know, the scary things and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the Guards of Imagination was designed specifically with the subtlety of that market for that audience. So they enjoy the garden and Chinese are very into the gardens environments because they kind of live in a concrete jungle. You know, their mm-hmm. cities are very urban. And so to be able to have that environment is wonderful. Or the Garden of 12 Friends, I created that concept and it's gonna be one of a kind, never in any other parks. And it's taking the 12 animal zodiacs, which is like, you know, the Western is, whoa, what's your sign, right? Well, Chinese, we have the 12 animals. And the concept I had was how, it it was totally brainless for me because I'm the year of the dragon. And so I thought, why don't we find the the equivalent of the uh, Disney culture animation characters and then combine them to the 12 characters of the Chinese. So the two blending of the two cultures right there and then and became photo opportunity. And Chinese people love photo opportunity because it's a memory that they take with family. So that became a real success or even as simple as a carousel most all our carousels in the other parts of the, uh, the Magic Kingdoms and Disneyland's are like King Arthur carousel or the Prince Charming Regal carousel. Well, those are very Western cultural based and Chinese don't have that connection again. So I changed it to the Fantasia carousel using the movie, which is all about cute characters. You know, it's the three C's, right? Cute character and color. and totally blended that into that carousel and it became their own. They, they accepted it. And then of course you've got the castle, the enchanted storybook castle 
as Leslie Iwerks in the uh, series for Imaginations, and when I talked about it, it is the biggest, it's the widest, it's the highest, and it's all of those things that have meaning to that Shanghai culture, especially, and the people. And also to be able to have a castle that is not a fortress, which is also not relatable to the Chinese culture. They don't have, Europe has the fortresses and have the, mm-hmm. the castle. China don't have castles. So creating that enchanted storybook castle into a home that actually has all of the 12 princesses residing in it is the first time ever that we changed that dynamic of our castles. And I was so grateful all our executives allowed me to do that. And to tell the story of the 12 princesses and then to end up with the very first princess, which is Sleeping Beauty, that has resonated. I don't know you guys know, in 1936, when that movie came out, it was the inspiration for the Wong brothers in Shanghai who were filmmakers. And they made the first animated Chinese princess iron fan, which was inspired by Sleeping Beauty. Hmm. So the connection of that Disney culture to Chinese culture once again happened. And so the affinity for our guests to come and have that relationship and to to have that connection, it made so much sense. And so these kinds of little subtleties kind of happened throughout all of the Shanghai project. And it wasn't easy to get to those because there was a lot of backdoor discussions about what was right, what was wrong, and what we shouldn't do and should do. And so all of that plays to your question, Vanessa, that yeah, it does make a difference to to listen, right? And to, to think about who you're doing it for. And I was I was happy that I could help in whatever degree I could have helped in. That's so wonderful. And I, I'm actually, I was really excited to talk to you about this idea of inclusion within the company. And the company has added that fifth key of inclusion to their core values. And we've gotten the opportunity to speak to a lot of people that have forged a path for others that look like them in the company, your fellow Disney legend, Floyd Norman being one of them. But I'm wondering if you ever felt a responsibility to represent Asian Americans within the company. I have, I have a very sort of a strong feeling about this. My parents are from two very different cultural backgrounds. So my origin, my descent is Eurasian. They raised me with the regard that I am not different from the person in front, behind, or next to me. It is always important to believe in equity, you know, inclusivity, and be diverse in any personal and professional environment. It fosters positive dynamics, contrast, constructive disruption, (laughs) curiosity, stimulation, energy, and of course, passion is what we do. And that's what we want. So I think representation by example has been and is more than ever part of me, my life, Um, Mm -hmm. my whole life and career is very blended. That's why, I mean, I had children at the time and I was working full force and still figured out how to do that. I realized that I am and what I have accomplished in my life and career is a regard to those who see themselves with me. So I'm honored by that. And I suppose it is a responsibility, but isn't that what we all should do without being asked or challenged? Mm -hmm. It's about being part of a collective and connected humanity we're all one family in many ways, but people tend to forget 
how similar we really are. I mean, we all have, as my mother would say, you know, when, when I had my two children, okay, got the 10 fingers, the 10 toes, you know, got the, everything is in order. Well, she was saying it more from a standpoint of health and, but, but you think about it, we are all the same. We have the same, <laughs> we have the same parts, right? We're all human. And I don't understand why sometimes there has to be that segregated attitude of, oh, I don't know you, or I don't, I, I understand it helps to be connective. So that's the part that I've been doing and I've been playing. And I do believe in that a lot. And it's, it's important to me. Well, in, in, in addition to, you know, you mentioned earlier, the, we always hear about the nine old men who were so helpful to Walt, but without people like Alice Davis and Harriet Burns and Mary Blair and these other legendary women as well, we wouldn't have the Walt Disney Company as it stands today. And so I, I think it's just so great and important to really make sure that we acknowledge all these people that kind of brought about the parks and the experiences and everything that we love as fans. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's the diversity of that thinking of that packaging of an individual's mind that actually creates what it is that we do in a, in a much richer form, in a much more in-depth form and more telling. So I, I, I totally believe that we need to be more aware, to be more on top of it and really express it and not be afraid to express it and share right and and bring others to to each other so that we become more as a one culture kind of thing that mm -hmm. I'm working on trying to get to <laughs> <laughs> that's so great brett i think you were up next well, as Craig mentioned, I attended D23 Expo in September, and both we, the audience, and I loved your speech. It was Aww. so tremendous and just heartfelt, yeah. and we all, we, we could experience your joy, and that was so wonderful. But now that you are an official Disney legend, do you feel honored, relieved, very happy about your lifetime Disney Park admissions? <laughs> That is hilarious. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, Lifetime Disney Park admissions is definitely pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the honor is being part of the amazing people who have come before me. To understand who they all were, and now I'm kind of part of that league, it's, I can't even express how honored I am. Uh, I think I'm still in sort of amazement. I'm, I'm still, like, in wonder. Maybe ask me how I feel again, Brett, when I finally have the award in my house. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. You, I you had the photo at off at the every day. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I will jack back, definitely. So, well, I hope that happens soon. So, <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> uh -huh. So, Doris, I'm wondering if we can kind of get into the head of a, a and the mind of an Imagineer. What is your first approach when you approach a design project? What are the things you're looking for and considering? Is it like audience? Is it story, color, shapes? Uh, what, what are some of the things that you first consider when you're starting an Imagineering project or a design project? You know, it's, it's good that you kind of sit in the way that you did about the audience is number one, that that is our audience. That's our client. At the end of the day, I do remind myself and my team a lot of times, you're not designing for yourself. You are ultimately doing it for a group of people or a location or all those have effect. So all projects are unique 
with what ultimately our deliverables are, what it needs to be. So there really isn't sort of a one silver bullet or a one go-to thing that works for all. But having said that, if I'm to just be a designer, then logically I look, I, I like to know my parameters, the logistics. It helps to know, I, it helps for me anyway, to know all of that so that I then know how I dream up ideas. It has to have an application at the end. It goes back to who am I doing it for? I do literally visualize what I want to design first in my head. I finally figured that out. Everything I do, I always think it through in my head and I could see it all. And it's, it's almost like I put everything, before I put everything on paper. So it's like kind of my mental sketch pad that I have first. And once I visualize it, I can then see it from beginning through the end. And maybe that's the producer side of me that I know how to finish it out and, and deliver it. However, if my job is to lead a design team or a project or a portfolio, well, that's a whole nother ball game. And how, how much time do we have on this program? <laughs> I should tell you, I, I, I mentioned the same thing to Robert uh, Cup when we when we got a chance to speak to him. We actually have a weekly Disney show. So if you have, he mentioned he has thousands of hours of stories. Just know that you can come on back and we can chat anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it, it will take a, long, a lot longer. How <laughs> that's going to work out. <laughs> that's so great and you know and, and to that point we've we've talked to a lot of other uh, imagineers and asked them this question and it's almost like trying to get them to pick children um but we're wondering if you have a particular project that ended up being your favorite or something that like the memories that you'll take from your career in imagineering what are the memories are the behind the scenes of those projects that really stick out to you wow that's a loaded question it is oh boy. <laughs> Ooh, okay that's really a tough one. I, I guess, okay, uh, if I had to boil it down, um, I'll say Epcot, of course, was my first. It's like your first love, right? It's hard to forget, and I'm indebted to that, and it has very strong memories for me on that project. But if I, and it's dear to my heart, but if I had to, if you if you force me to say this got to be, has is there one that absolutely, okay, I'm going to say it, Westcott. Westcott oh, Center, wow. I can't even begin to tell you how that project meant to me from, I'll break it down to two parts. One is the content and the delivery of that project, which by the way, is sort of uh, inspired by Epcot. So Westcott, you know, it's like coming to the West, right? Epcot's on the East side and this is West side. And it was going into the Anaheim location as part of our, our responsibility, the task that was given to our team. And I was leading that along with my partner, which was Jan Circus, who was the executive creative architect. And the two of us had the job to figure this out. And we had to do Westcott and Long Beach Disney Sea at the same time. But the whole point of why that project meant so much to me I will say at the end of the day, it's who is in front, behind, and next to you that makes the dynamics of what you create, what you come up with, what you visualize the best ever. So the credit goes to the team dynamics. They 
were diverse, flamboyant. They were passionate people. They were hell fun, had a great time. We, we worked hard and we played hard. Professionals, and they were friends of mine. They became friends. And at the end of the day, which I'm going to talk a lot about, is if you give me all those hours you want me to talk to you about. <laughs> sure, yes. <laughs> Parts two, yeah. three, four, five, and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll become the family. But oh, thank you. Pleasure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> about family, guys. At the end of the day, if and family argue, right? And we love each other, we hate each other, and then we do what we do. But at the end of the day, we come together, and that was the dynamic that I felt from the team we pulled together to work on Westcott and Disney Sea at the same time. We had a horrific task to do, and we had a certain timeline to do it in and a budget that we had to fulfill. But beyond all of that, the concept for Westcott in particular really nailed it back at that time, which was in the 90s, Yeah, the relevancy behind the concepts. We were so ahead of the game. We took what content was from Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. I believed in it from what Walt's vision was. And we pulled it over to the West. And at that point, we then really dove deep into addressing present issues that we are still talking about today, that we're still trying to figure out how we're going to express them. But issues and challenges and celebrations at the same time about climate, you know, the harshness of that and what can we do to fix health, culture, earth, humanity, and future responsibilities. Those were all melded into what ultimately the challenge was, how do we do it and make it palatable, make it fun, so the guests will come, they'll interact, and then they walk away with a message and knowledge and educated them in a way that they didn't even know they were educated so that they become the voice, that they can then spread it. That's always been the mission by our team. We were ahead of our time, as I mentioned, in everything from our design physically how to do it, as well as the stories that we told. So I have to tell you, that's what really made me so why I talk about Westcott, because it was my baby and mm-hmm. um, it meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So there was a funny story about that. And there's a funny part and there's a, a serious part about it. We were prepared. Once again, it was a big deal. We were asked to gather and put that entire two projects together on a major presentation to Michael Eisner, Frank Wells, and the entire board of directors were coming over and they were going to, it was a serious meeting of sort of like a go, no go thing, but we didn't know that at the time. That was it. So we spent weeks organizing, presenting, and I designed the presentation space. It was, I have to say it was beautiful. It was really great. And we had our our uh, master plan model laid out like we always do. We scaled it, you know, everything is, uh, it's a study model that we had prepared along with all the boards, with all the artwork that all the designers were working on. Had it all ready and the board came and uh, Jan and I presented. We spent about two hours and we went through everything. And this model took a, it was huge because it took the entire master plan of Westcott at the very end of it, you know, it's the classic beautiful white model that's all scaled. Everything is perfect. And you could literally, back then we got our little phone. So we, I would put, put the phone in there upside down with a the camera 
So you could actually become the person walking in scale as we took, and we took, you know, the, the board and the Frank and, and Michael through it, all that. So they got the feel of it all. When we finished, we were like exhausted. So the funny part was one of the board members said, wow, just, that was amazing. Can't, can't believe how incredible that was, but, but I'm a little bit um, not clear. So do you think the guests will really like coming to this park and, you know, because it's, it's all white. <laughs> is it going to work that well that the whole park is white? And are the guests going to kind of relate to that? Isn't that going to be hard mm -hmm. to clean? Yeah. Okay. And I tell you, I stood there, I looked at Jan and, and we were both like speechless. <laughs> uh, I, I thought, no, this is a, this is a study model. It's not a yeah. model. Yeah. <laughs> so I to myself. This is their first rodeo for sure. Gosh. And, and you know the 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 lesson learned was, uh, of course, our response is no, no. This is our 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 study model where we do everything in scale so that we can learn about it and then we adjust it and then we'll move into the show model where the color starts getting laid down and we figure, so I explained all of that to the, the person and um, whoever was sitting there listening. And at the end of all of it, when we finished the whole thing, they went away and we, you know, it just goes to show, we, we take things for granted. We take for granted what we do every day and assume by osmosis, others will know who are not in the industry or who don't do what we do or build what we build. But they don't, but if they don't, and the lesson learned is we need to be explicit and clear and not assume everyone knows what the shortcuts are. And that's for all professions, right? When you mm -hmm. jump into something, you just assume you hit the dirt running and you got it. How, how can you get it in there if you've never had that exposure? So that's about life. That's about the whole earlier comment, you know, question about how you relate to each other, diversity, how is it that you respect each other? A lot of people assume that, oh, I I think I know you. No, you don't, because you know, how would you know unless you really get to talk to me or know who I am? So I, I think those are all the things that kind of came to mind and, and our team really learned from that experience and adjusted it and made sure that whenever we spoke, we spoke clearly and we spoke explicitly and not down onto people, but we explained it clearly and simply. And that's just the message across the board for part of my life, my career. I really take that time to do that. And it's, it's the eye contact, it's the whole relationship, it's the respect for each other. Yeah, it's incredible just, because you're sharing all these amazing lessons with us through these answers as well. This is really, yeah. truly like a master class that we get to have oh. on this little Zoom <laughs> Thank chat you. here. This is amazing. Just amazing. But, but Brett, I think uh, you had a question about Epcot. Oh, well, I was at Epcot on the very first day, on opening day in 1982, and I had read so much and was so excited to see everything. I love the original park so much. And although many changes have there have been changes over the years. I still have a great admiration for all of the artists and everyone that created the original Epcot. Now, we've talked with a number of, we have been fortunate enough to talk to a number of Imag Imagineers who worked at Epcot, and it seems that everyone pulled together, learned a lot, as you have talked about, and pulled all the stops out to get that park ready for October 1st. So were you, were you 
in Florida at the time. Can you share some of your experiences or, pro or very favorite projects that you worked on at Epcot? You mentioned some of them. I'm like going, yeah. the carpet on the walls, that's your idea in, 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 oh, uh, yeah. in the well, living that, of the that, land? Yeah, that, that's- As a that sculpture, might, it was gorgeous. That might, yeah. that might come a little later and <laughs> maybe Vanessa's next question, but- um, Oh, okay. You know, we were all Epcot. I, I, I think back and I, I think this is true. We were all Epcot babies. And when I mean babies, literally, we were all in our 20s. And majority first-time responsibilities for this type of multi-million dollar project that you wouldn't really have this, you know, responsibility for, or or it wasn't like obvious until you're in the middle of it and and you see all the challenges you have to deal with and working in an environment that we've never been. I mean, we're talking Florida at the time where I won't even get into that part, how 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 challenging it was to live in sure. a place yes. where, you know, was still forming and the mm -hmm. property was still a little bit raw and right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so that was quite challenging for sure. Totally non-magic kingdom. So the content was already different. So we had to really be clear about that. And, you know, environment attraction, it was all very different from our usual magic kingdom or Disneyland type work. And, at that point, you know, Japan had been in there, Walt Disney World's there, Anaheim's there, but that was kind of about it. So we were to some degree, and I don't mean this in a negative, it was really more about just how I felt at the time. It was like blind leading the blind teams of the talented and very passionate individuals, but with one focus, one language, and I don't mean English, I just mean we all spoke one project, which is... Nowadays, you know, towards the end of my career or throughout my career, I mean, I had up to like seven, eight, nine projects at the same time. So you're very sort of divided. But this was an amazing opportunity that we really all spoke that one language, Epcot, and that was it. And one delivery, and that is to get the Epcot opened by yeah. 1982. You oh. know, when you think about it, we did it in like about three, three and a half years, mm -hmm. a project of that scale and scope. And I talked about this, about the family. We were a family. We were all there kind of like commiserating over what we screwed up on and what we did right. And then how we're going to do it. And we all kind of did, and we shared what we could. And then the other thing that is really, really funny um, is we didn't have the iPhones or the high tech computer systems like we have today. We only had snail mail. I mean, I'm not kidding. We had to wait days for the information to come back. If you don't get on a telephone and talk, it was like a really cool thing if you were one of the cool people that got the beeper. And the beeper oh. <laughs> it's yep. like a phone number. It didn't even mm -hmm. have a message. So you're like, who who's calling? You know, because you don't remember the number. It's like, who could it be? You know, and you you can't delete it off the beeper. So so that was like weird when you think back and how we're so assuming what we do today. So I, I think, you know, experiences, it's hard for me to say uh, because I was sure. on land. I mean, the land yeah. is is everything to me. And mm -hmm. to be able to be involved with other credible people doing that whole space. And it mm -hmm. was my time that Rolly Crump gave me full reign. He gave me one sort of a tip, one direction. Think about that farmer's market styling look and all that and I ran with it and he just guided me he just kept me it's like the it's like 
bowling, you know, those two guardrails on either side, like if mm -hmm. you're and it's like a bumper thing, if you, if you hit it, it bumps you back. That's like Rolly. He just sort of put me down that thing. And then if I went off, he bumps me back again. And then so I'm just keep going. But I, I think that project, and then I'll talk about specifically a, a part of that project, but the World Showcase, you know, after I finished mm -hmm. the land, I kind of moved right into it. Well, mm -hmm. for opening day, the land had to be there, but also there were about five, six different countries already there in World Showcase. And I ended up becoming the exhibit designer for it, uh, for mm -hmm. all the galleries, which was amazing experience. Mm -hmm. experience. And I didn't even know how I got into that because I didn't study exhibition design, you know, but I worked at the De Young Museum two summers, but as a graphic assistant, you know, pasting all the little by hand, all the letters set back then, you know. Oh, right? sir. <laughs> set up so easy. Mm -hmm. But that was all I did. I didn't design exhibit, but because I had that experience, I think Marty thought, okay, I have exhibition design. So <laughs> put me in charge. Great. Okay, I'll do it. What the heck? But I loved it, you know, mm -hmm. designing for all those. I did 17, I believe, exhibitions for seven countries and mm -hmm. rotated it and worked with all the international curators that came in and the collection were exquisite. You're talking collections to the level of Smithsonian, you know, mm -hmm. all those top hitters. And I was handling it. I loved that. And I ended up actually becoming more involved in my own company in museum design work later on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I, I guess, you know, showcase one side and future world for the land pavilion. Wow. It was amazing on day one and day two and still is, but it does spell, it does hold a very special place in my heart. The idea and even the infotainment idea and the, just what you were talking about Westcott is that how you bring people in and you show them things and they learn things without really realizing that yes. they're learning so much and then taking that back with them. So the initial concept of Epcot was still very special to me and then it changed a bit, but we understand that things change, but I very much thank you for all of the opening day. Oh, cool. Great. Now we're on day 14,600 something. It's that legacy. It's that legacy. Yeah. Vanessa? Well, let's get into talking about living with the land. I feel like we built up a lot of suspense here, uh, alluding to Rolly. And, you know, when we talked to him, we had such a great chat with him. He told us some really fun kind of wild stories about that time and wanted to hear your stories from designing that attraction and, and see if you're surprised at all by how this is like a major attraction for Disney enthusiasts. People love, love, love this attraction. It's so funny, you're, you know, I, I'm still like beyond words. When I heard from different people about how popular this is, mm -hmm. and I know I'm keep, we're keeping the audience listening to this in suspense, what we're talking about, but, but, but clearly I had no clue at the time. So backstory was, yes, my responsibility, farmer's market and the Harvest Theater, what was known mm -hmm. then. And it was the theater that showed the movie that talked about life and, and uh, let's say, symbiosis. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right, symbiosis. Mm -hmm. Gosh, thank you. I forgot all about sure. that. But yeah, all of that. And so I thought, okay, went to task. So I did my farmer's market thing. And then the challenge for the Harvest Theater was developing the logo for it, which I did. And then the pre-show space, how to design that. And then the theater, you know, all the interior working with that and et cetera. So the task went in and 
Roly set me off and, and just gave me once again, one, two points, you know, the guide and then off you go. And so I started thinking about it and I, I just still amazed to me that I ended up coming with this concept for, I first designed the mural and I felt in the pre-show space, what would be nice is to have a wainscot up X high, three feet usually, and then a mural that just banded the whole space together. And it was an awkward shaped space, kind of a triangular base shape before the guests go into the theater. I don't want it too much. I don't want it too little. That was the message. You just want guests to be comfortable in there and have a little bit of sort of a, a, a sense of what they might be seeing. Great. So I came up with a design and lo and behold, the concept happened. I laid down the idea, which was really an abstract, very stylized uh, mural of wheat. And uh, what is it? Like plants growing and it morphed one into the other. So it has sort of a little bit of sort of almost a sense of a contemporary nouveau, art nouveau-ish feel, mm -hmm. kind of just movement, et cetera. And that's usually a lot of my style. And then the colors came on. And then when I finished the design, I showed it to Roly. And then the next question was, okay, great. How are we going to do this? He loved it. And he said, how are we going to do this? And I thought, it's too boring if it was really just paint on a wall. Because, you know, guests are right there. So you got the scratching going on. You got the handprints going on. And, you know, it, it won't hold up too well. So Roly challenged me and said, well, come up with whatever you want. And, he's, and we started brainstorming and going back and forth. And I don't know who exactly, how we ended up on it, but I will say we created three samples, actual full-size sample sections. It's a piece about maybe four feet by about the height of the mural, which is about eight, nine, you know, eight, nine feet-ish. And I partnered with a fellow Imagineer, Anne Malmlin, amazing designer artist she's a wood carver oh. and she and i started thinking what if this thing because it's earth because it's about land and the the texture of all of that the color which is warm and so we we took a section on my mural and i said how about you carve it so she ended up carving a whole section of that mural and and actually embossed it with elements that are carved separate and mounted on top so it looked like it's all been beveled but of course it's too hard to do and she was an excellent wood carver all by hand so she created this whole thing showed it to Rolly, and we thought love it i mean it had such a wonderful feeling to it but then we said logically operationally maintenance it would be a nightmare because color again, and we left it very natural pine color. So it came, became the, the earth sort of theming and story. And then we thought people will start yanking things off because there were a lot of seed pods with the shapes and they might pull that idea. So that one sample sat off to the side. Then the next sample, I started thinking, because you have to know, Shahanese people were all into textiles. We're all part of the commodity world. My father, my uncle, everybody, cotton, carpet, manufacturing, all of that stuff. So it was always in me growing up. So I thought, and I said to, to Roly, what if we did something like a carpet, like a wall carpet? 
And he wasn't like, yes or no. He just went wall carpet. Actually, he thought about something like that. So we both kind of came together on a sort of a crossroad point. And um, he said, we'll figure it out. So I went back to my friend Ann Malmlin and we ended up doing a second sample and we combined the two. So I had her do wood for some, like the seed pods and things, but the background, I ended up getting carpet sample and we cut and everything and then pieced it together. And we showed that. So you had the combination of the two textures. Showed it back to, to Rolly and still not logical because the wood's gonna be yanked off and it's dirt. So I said, well, then let's all go with carpet full. And that was what wow. I said. Let's do carpet full, but I wanted it to be all beveled. So it's not one, I mean, when you look at it, carpet is carpet, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one level, but I want all of the design to have beveled edges where one shape moved to another. So mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of a black line that you outline. Mm -hmm. Where that black outline is, it will be the bevel. And that's not done in carpet companies because when they mm -hmm. weave it, it goes one shot. And the other is I, I wanted a continuous no break. I didn't want any sections of carpet like you do on floors. A lot of time it's tiled. I want one piece which is over 200 feet long by eight, nine feet tall. Wow. And so off we went. I came up with the eight, nine, yeah, eight colors. And gosh, what did I do with it? I actually have actual samples oh yeah, we love the show oh and tell gosh. portions oh, oh my wow gosh. Oh, wow yeah eight, four five six seven eight colors so this Those was the actual familiar mm -hmm. that went along with all of my palms my little carpet palms mm -hmm. and the other thing i wanted because my background with my family knowing about all of this 100 percent wool no synthetics and this has to be yarn that is of the color and not printed because when you print it's only on the surface so all of that went to the assessment group and they sent it off for for we had to get estimates from all over the world you know Cal mm -hmm. america as well as asia is where all everything was made a lot so that went five i think five different companies vendors and then it came back you know, it was awarded and wouldn't you know it in hong kong Oh, yeah. 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 That's so Rolly sent me to Hong Kong to art direct and I showed up and I'm, I, I, okay, I'm saying this and people will go, oh, huh? Yeah, sure. Well, I didn't pick the company. I wasn't <laughs> even in of those conversations. I just mm -hmm. gave the artwork, gave my specs and tell me what it is. And the money came back to, I don't even remember what the cost was and Taiping Carpets got the, um, the award to do it. And it was my uncle's. And wow. wow, that's such a great story. That's a small world yeah. story. Huh? No clue. Yeah. I had no clue until I finally saw from our assessment group, they came back and they said, here's the company. Here's what we got awarded. We got it all approved. And Roly says, you're going to follow through the art direction because I had to make sure they understood about the beveling because they had to hand cut all of that. Wow. And so I went, showed up and literally I didn't say a word and and I saw my uncle and he went, what are you doing here? <laughs> it was so funny. It was like hilarious. I said, I direct this job that you guys mm -hmm. are doing. And they did it. They actually wow. did a beautiful job. Right. And at the time, Typing Carpets designed and created a lot of carpets all over the world with, mm -hmm. you know, big hotels and their stuff is, is credible. It has a great 
great standard. So needs to say, 43 years later, however many years, 40 years later, sorry, Epcot. 40, yes. Um, 40, yeah. It's still looking like the brand new day because oh. wall carpet, you don't have dirt, you know, and mm -hmm. you just vacuum it vertically. And wool, you won't ever have any issues. Mm -hmm. And hand, you know, touching for mm -hmm. people, it's not the same as the amount of dirt you get on the feet. So it'll still stay fresh and you can always wash it, you know, mm -hmm. like dry wash, like, wow. you it. and so it's maintained its look and standard all these years. And I'm so grateful for it. And I had no clue, Vanessa, at all about the online following. And I had people saying, oh yeah, no, there's a whole group of people. It's like a cult. And they said, if they <laughs> had the original artwork and all this, this would be like an amazing thing. And I went, wow, I'm so, so I mean, I'm thrilled and honored to know that people are so excited about this piece. Well, it's funny. Whenever we bring up living with the land on this show, we bring up our very good friend, a fellow podcaster, Matthew Kroll, who he hosts a show called The Imagineer Podcast. And it he is such a huge fan of living with the land. So I know that you just made him so happy uh, listening to yes. this and getting to hear all that story. I think there may be a lot of Disney Parks fans, really kind of us included as well, that have not made a trip yet over to see some of the overseas parks. What would you tell those American tourists that they're missing out as far as the Imagineering goes in some of those overseas parks. They are definitely missing out. So here, here I go. I'm going to give you a quick sort of synopsis of stuff. Okay. Disneyland Paris, it is to me one of the most charming parks that we've ever designed. There's some fantasy, it has a fantastical sort of a fantasy attitude about it. And the lighting of that come at nighttime, it is unbelievably very sweet and and just the way the castle sits and all of that storytelling it feels like a storybook the whole park you have to try the ratatouille attraction in the restaurant is like amazing now the hollywood studios under major expansion so i you know wait a year and go back and you're gonna be cool. <laughs> okay. there which is really fun and cool Hong Kong Disneyland is very close to my heart because Hong Kong you know from there and that the overall resort landscape I think it's one of the most beautiful of all of our six parks in the world. It's just the, the way your arrival sequence and because it's tropical, it has the combination of landscape that it's just exquisite. But you must see, of course, my transformed castle <laughs> of magical dreams, mm -hmm. which I had the honor to work with an amazing bunch of team members to come up with the next castle apart from the Shanghai castle, which I had talked earlier, that was the first time we moved from single princess story to 12 princess. And the bragging rights between the two cities, Shanghai, Hong Kong continues. Mm. Hong Kong now has the bragging rights. It has 13 princesses. And it is the only castle in the entire world that carries all 13 of the princess colors as part of the architectural oh, texture, wow. color, and symbolism. Mm -hmm. And I wow. intended for that castle not to ever have so-called the princess likenesses to be represented, like in the Shanghai one, as all uh, 12 of the girls shown. This is all done by the symbol, the color, and the pattern. And the purpose was part two of that castle could be using the contemporary, you know, your personal devices. The point is you could literally take your personal device 
and through eventually through AR apps, all of those things, the VR that you hear that we're all into doing, and pretty soon it's going to be like everybody's thing could be doing it, very simple, mm -hmm. is that you could take your device and, and go to all of the symbols. So there are 13 towers and domes with each one finial of each of the girls. And wow. so the point is you could point at it and then you could dive deep into on your own phone, walk away, do whatever, and you can read all about the stories that are telling about the 13 princesses. And there was a great cool story when I presented that to Bob Iger. And I was sweating that bullet because it's never been done, right? Because usually our castles have a certain color, which is usually kind of a, a pink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a whole yes. story. But mm -hmm. anyway, so this time, you know, pushing it to have all 13 colors. And after I presented, he just sat back and he went, I like it. And I went, phew, you know, Bob, I mean, you know, Bob Iger likes it. You know, it's like, thank goodness. Uh, so I was very, very happy. So that was like kind of cool. And the Shanghai one, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, oh my gosh, come on. That park is, is the biggest on opening day of all of our parks in the world. The rides are over the top. Pirates of the Caribbean, Tron Ride, you have to go for that. And there's just no way out. And you're going to go, oh my gosh, what's part two of this thing? Gardens of 12 Friends, which I talked about earlier. I think get your photo opportunity, find out what animal you are a year, and then get your picture. And then that castle is amazing. It's beautiful with the center court. And there's an attraction on the third floor, which is the only castle in the world that has that. And it's Sleeping Beauty. So you have to think about that one and walk through with the story that I mentioned earlier. And Tokyo Disneyland and Disney Seas, those two parks are amazing. So Tokyo Disneyland, of course, it's, it's, it has the enclosed Main Street, which is the only one in the world, which is really, really cool. And it's a duplicate of the Magic Kingdom, but but with a Japanese twist, which is kind of a different uh, experience. And then Disney Sea, you know, what, what can I say about that park? It's like, it's an amazing park, everything. You need to see everything. And you've got to eat the milk tea, popcorn, and mm. the turkey leg. And uh -huh. that's- Yes. That, that is so great. Uh, everything about that is so great. And, you know, again, I'm referencing back to uh, our interview with Robert, but he had said that he would hop on a plane with us to go to Tokyo. So, you know, I'm just saying, if you'd like to go to uh, <laughs> any of the other parks, you know, you could, you could walk us right through that castle that you made. <laughs> that I would love great. it. I would wow. love it. So wow. let's figure it out on our schedule. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yes. For sure. Well, uh, we, we are definitely coming to starting to begin to wrap up our interview and we're so grateful for our time with you but we do have a fun rapid fire segment and i will say you said two words that are kind of they're very infamous on this podcast you said turkey legs so we might get into that here in just a second but these are some rapid fire questions that i believe vanessa is going to ask you Yes, and you can answer these as quickly or as elaborately as you would like but if you had to pick one attraction to ride what would it be Shanghai Disney Resort Pirates and Pooh Ride in Tokyo Disneyland. Oh, okay. all right. Favorite Disney park? Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Paris. Love it. Like them all. Uh, I'm not going to give you one answer, Vanessa. But that's okay. That's okay. That's, uh, you know, okay. Uh, Tony Baxter, he went on forever. So you're doing yes, fine. Did, 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 yes. uh, favorite Disney animated film? 
oh, it has to be for me, Pinocchio and Bambi. Oh. Love those two. I like the classics. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, okay. that's, that's wonderful. Favorite Disney restaurant? That's a, that's a tough one. Okay. Napa Rose here. Mm-hmm. Aurora, which that's our trip. When we go to Shanghai, I will okay. pay for Aurora, which is at Shanghai Disneyland Hotel. And Crystal Lotus, which will go also to Hong Kong, is the Chinese restaurant at the Disneyland Hotel. Wow. Okay. Mm. And then finally, favorite Disney park snack? Oh, come on. That's what I just said, right? Milk tea popcorn at Tokyo oh. Disney Seas. Okay. They have the milk tea and they have other flavors, but I like the milk tea popcorn. And then, yeah, turkey legs yeah. in Tokyo. Okay. And- it is like they didn't think it would be popular because Japanese people don't eat, you know, like this. And then with mm-hmm. the turkey leg and all that. But it is like line around. I'm talking yes. about line around a land to wait for the turkey legs. And I <laughs> that love it's great legs here. Always. So I have to tell you, I have to tell you the backstory here uh, for about, I don't know, three or four years now, there's been this argument between Vanessa, who's very pro turkey leg and Brett, who is sort of anti turkey leg. Uh, so I'm, you be, you do you, you know, I, I, I've made my peace. I even gave her a turkey leg for Thanksgiving one time. I'm like going, it was like a peace offering. I'm like going, I tried it. I'm like going, I, you know, there is room for all of the snacks. <laughs> okay, then the milk tea popcorn, Brett, is going to be for you. I will try that. Yeah. I have I have a brand new passport that is waiting to be used to go specifically to Tokyo Disney. Okay, all mm-hmm. right. Very yeah, good. Absolutely. Well, Brett, I think you have our final question. Well, in an interview from D23 Expo, you mentioned that you have a design firm. And can you tell us about that as you transition from one part of your career to another? Yeah, I would love to. So it's basically the same kind of career providing uh, Mm -hmm. effort. So I I still continue to provide design, art direction, leadership, and advisory services. Mm -hmm. I I think it's a little bit more heading into my collective years that I've had. I have more to offer now that Mm -hmm. I can actually share in whether be to a client that needs my knowledge more and or to help mentor or to help support their team and guide them through processes of you know everything that we you know been talking about and that right. I'm very comfortable in doing. So that's kind of ongoing and I have different things and you know fire how do you say thing in the fire? In the fire? Irons in the fire? Irons in the Irons fire. In the I have a few things, you know, but nah, I'm totally enjoying my relaxed time right now. And good uh, for you. So yeah, so I'm kind of I'm kind of harmonizing, right? Both my Ooh, life. That's a good word. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's very and, good. Uh, yeah. And you know, after all the years of working and designing and creating artwork for other people, meaning you know Disney and such. I'm finally doing artwork for myself. Oh, oh wow. So, yes, I'm creating a collection that ultimately I would love to see if galleries may be interested to have. Mm-hmm. And I will love to show you one day what my work is because I think okay. it's, pretty, it's all done by a stippling technique, pen and ink mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. 0.04, 0.05 ink pens. And stippling um, is all by dots, sure, yeah. so thousands, millions of dots. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I'm I'm on number. I just started on number fourteen, so I still have a ways to go. I want to get at least to twenty. So I have some, you know, body oh of work gosh. that I 
present and show. So I'm working on that in, in my company. Wow. And then equal with that, I have actually started over about a oh, 10 years or more now ago, I created an initiative that supports global connections of mm -hmm. smart, compassionate, multicultural and creatively spirited individuals who live and work in nine different countries right now, and it continues to grow, and who share in the same belief that I have. My goal is to inspire curiosity, connections with a network of friends and colleagues from different culture and career backgrounds mm -hmm. so that, you know, everybody has a sense of awareness again, right? It's that whole thing we talked about before. I motivate each of them to respectfully exchange relevant knowledge, friendship, which then equals the family connections, appreciation for each other, and time to support when needed. You know, I believe, for instance, our lives and careers are always is so distinct. We, we are unique individuals, but I believe the sum total of human strength and value in what we who we are and how do we how do we live our lives is when we're all genuinely connected and that is pretty much my global connections group i spend effort and time and connecting with each one of them individually and i take the time to talk with them because i value that if i can connect with one it's like the pebble in a in a pond when you drop it it's that perfect pebble and all of the rings will emulate that same pebble and that's how I feel. If I could spend that effort with that individual one, then that one will tell social media five, 10, and it keeps going, going, going. So eventually, mm -hmm. hopefully it all connects and humanity will end up feeling as one, which will take a while to be dead by then, but hopefully no, it'll well. continue. <laughs> Well, use the internet. No, it'll happen very quickly. So you will see it come to life. How's that? Yes. yes. Well, what, a, what an amazing, inspirational way to uh, be able to end our time with you, at least the time for this particular conversation. But, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just so amazing. I was just thinking about this and you have millions of people that appreciate your work and the magic that you've brought to these parks. And in the time, in the brief time that we had the pleasure of speaking with you today, thousands of people would have gone through living with the land and the castle at Hong Kong and so many of the other projects that you worked on throughout your career. And it's just incredible to think about the, you know, a lot of people use the Disney parks for healing, for joy. And it's like you have brought that to the world. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And just thank you for your legendary career. Now you really are a Disney legend. And we're so grateful that we had the conversation with you today. Oh, Craig, you just humbled me so much with what you said. Oh. I'm so appreciative of all of you being interested to hear you know, my stories and what I stand for. And I hope the pebble's been dropped to the three of you and that Absolutely. you can continue to, to emulate it out. So it's been my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me to be oh, here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Wow, that was incredible. The stories oh and the thoughts that she put into her responses. Oh my goodness. I'm going to go immediately to Vanessa um, because- I'm telling you, these oh. Imagineers are incredible people. They are the kindest people. They are so creative. They're so giving of their time. They think deeply. I loved everything about this interview. We got some wonderful behind the scenes stories. I mean, 
the whole carpet story from Living with the Land mm-hmm. was her uncle who ended up being the Awarded vendor the they, yeah. they went they went with. And to hear her, the details in designing it, the, the type of quality, how it needs to be cut, how it was going to hold up, that was incredible. And that was a, such a great story. But then also hearing her talk at the end about her real mission to make us think as one and to inspire each other. And I'm just happy to be a pebble. I have to say, I'm happy to be a pebble in that pond. I completely agree. What an amazing message to end on. And she kept giving us lessons throughout. She would Mm. be like, well, this is when I worked on this attraction. And this is why this related to this major life lesson that you all should take away from this. It's just like, it was like incredible to just have that opportunity. She's, she's obviously just so thoughtful and so talented in her artistic endeavors, but also just a good human. And so to be able to be in that kind of same space with someone like that is just a privilege. It's just amazing to be able to be able to communicate with them. Brett, your thoughts on speaking to Doris? Absolutely. Well, everything you said, you know, the life lessons, we always learn so much from all of these wonderful people that we've had the opportunity to speak with. And today was, you know, uh, it was, as you said, a masterclass in so many things. And I'm going, I'm going to join you as, you know, the pebble in one of, you know, in the ripple and the, all of that. Can you, not to make light of, of any of that because all, because her message is so important and especially important now. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great metaphor about how we can inspire each other. And it's, it's something as small as a pebble. We sometimes we feel like, well, what difference can I make? I'm just one person. I live in the Midwest. Who's going to know if I do anything, but her story speaks volumes about how you can make a very significant and far reaching effect on people's lives. And and I just, I love that so much. And I mean, give me a t-shirt. I'm a pebble. I will gladly be a pebble forever. I love that story. Mm-hmm. She might even design it for you, Vanessa. Oh, you should ask. oh my goodness. That would be wow. amazing. Could you imagine? There are so many bad ways to transition to our plugs from this amazing inspirational thing. Like, and you will choose uh, the speaking best. of pebbles, you can all be a pebble for us. No, uh, really, truly, though, it was just incredible to get an opportunity to speak to her. And we're so grateful to WDI for these continued opportunities that we've had to be able to, to take some time and be able to share the stories of those people that really make magic within the parks or within the company, because we we're doing better. We're doing a better job at things like the Imagineering story. And uh, before that, even like something projects like Waking Sleeping Beauty that looked at more of like the animation side into the Disney Renaissance. Uh, And now we have behind the attraction as well on Disney Plus. But we need to do more to be able to share the stories of these Imagineers, these amazing people that have made so much magic and so much joy for so many people all around the world. And uh, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to speak to Doris today. It was just amazing. It's one I'll never forget for sure. So that is something that we like to do here. We like to have those interviews. And if this happens to be your first time checking out Beyond the Mouse, you can find us on all podcast platforms by just searching for Beyond the Mouse. Also, you can find us on social media. Our social media is Beyond the Mouse Pod uh, on Instagram. It's also Beyond Mouse on Twitter. And then it's also, there's two places to find us on Facebook, either Beyond the Mouse Podcast, which is our page, or Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals, where I recommend you go to join the conversation about Disney. We talk about things 
things pretty much every day in that group. And so you can join along in the conversation with us there. We also would really appreciate it if you consider joining our Patreon. We just launched that this month. We've had a really great and amazing response to that. We actually just gave away a Tumblr for a 40th anniversary Tumblr. I actually have something from D23 Expo 2022 that I think I might be giving away at some point in the relatively near future. So mm. we'll see. Maybe we can do another contest in November to keep going, getting even more and more of those patrons because we really are having a great time with that. Actually, you all just did an interview last week that I was not a part of, but I loved that you and B, Vanessa, jumped onto the patron-only group to kind of debrief about that. So I was thinking I might even do something like that today as well, just to chat them out and, <laughs> and be able to, to talk about about that for sure. So please join us there. You can go to patreon.com slash beyond the mouse to check out the different tiers that we have and everything else. And we are so grateful to the people that have already done that and already support us. All right. Final thoughts, guys, Brett, any final thoughts before we get out of here? I'm going to go live an inspired life and try to experience the ripple effect, you know, that, that we experienced today. Go for it awesome. and ripple. Awesome. Vanessa, did you want to, did you want to say something about the turkey leg as we uh, leave? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Okay. Well, let me, let me have one inspirational thing and then we'll get into the, the real meat of the interview here, which is the talk about the turkey leg. But uh, let me just say that, you know, along the lines of what Brett said, I have, I love these interviews where we leave it feeling so inspired and so uplifted. There's just certain people that you meet in your life that make you feel really warm and fuzzy and good inside. And Doris was one of those people. So I'm just so thankful to her for everything she's given us in this world and her time and her creativity. Now, I'm also very thankful to her for saying that Turkey Leg is great. And we have had two awesome women this week that we have spoken <laughs> to who have liked the turkey leg. So mm -hmm. I think I'm going to be starting a uh, women support group for turkey legs very soon. And we will be a legion, if you will, that will be putting out the turkey leg message, which is that they are delicious. Absolutely. Yes. We'll definitely do that for sure. But it's been a great week. It's been an amazing group of interviews that we've had a chance to do here, but we got to get out of here. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Uh, perhaps the front row of Hong Kong Disney? Is that where we're heading with her? Or yes. Shanghai Disneyland? Shanghai, I, I'm ready Hong to Kong. go. I think we ready should to go, go to Japan and get in that turkey leg line. In that turkey leg line and then mm -hmm. go get the popcorn. We've yes, been invited by several Imagineers now to go to these parks. I think we should take them up on it. Okay. We are best Let's friends. Go.